Romans chapter 15, verse uh, 1. We found it. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born of my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. I want to talk about expand uh, for just a few minutes this afternoon. Father, we thank you for uh, these opportunities that we have had to address uh, the work that we are doing as members of the body of Christ in our local uh, church in our in our context i pray that you would give us uh, another word this afternoon that is charged with power and anointing i pray that you would strengthen every heart every mind every person's will to make a decision that the year 2016 we're going to do the things that need to be done and set in order the things that remain so that we can have the stability and the growth that you plan for our lives, for our ministries, and for our churches. I pray that the Holy Spirit would address some things in our hearts as we come to the word. I pray that you would anoint me to, to teach and preach and anoint this congregation to receive the word with gladness. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We all know the story of Abraham. And I just want to, I'm going to go through the whole story. I'm just going to give us a snapshot of what's going on in the life of Abraham. At the age of 75, God told him that he was going to uh, be the father of nations. That he was going to have a son. And that that son was going to bless the nations. A la edad de 75 años, Abraham recibe una promesa que Dios le dice, vas a tener un hijo y ese hijo va a bendecir a las naciones. How many of you think 75 is kind of late to be receiving promises? Kind of late, but those of you who are closer to 75, you're like, no, it's never too late. Well, Abraham gets this word, you're going to be a father. And he is excited about it. But a year passes Two pass, three pass, four pass, five pass. Some scholars think as many as 15 years have now passed. No son. And, you know, after 75, 80, but still a young man, he's probably thinking. 85, but now he's at 90. And he is, he's despondent. And he is about ready to disbelieve that God could even do this. 
Él llega a la edad de 90 años. 15 años pasan y él no ha recibido la promesa. I didn't say it was 15 years till he got the promise. I said 15 years he still doesn't have the promise. How many of you have a 15-year promise? Anybody in here? 20-year promise? It's a long time to wait, isn't it? You know, the modern church, we struggle with a one-year promise. But Abram is the father of faith. He's an example to us. And, and yet in this moment, the scripture tells us a few things that have happened. And I want to just lay out what happened. In the previous chapter, Lot is separated from him. When Abram left Ur the Chaldees, as God called him, cuando Abram salió de Ur de los Caldeos, cuando Dios lo llamó, he left with his father and his nephew, along with him on the, on the train, uh, the, the travel train. Cuando Abram sale de Ur de los Caldeos, se va con él, su padre y su, uh, su, su sobrino, and these guys, uh, although they were his relatives, they, they led him in the wrong direction. Estos hombres, aunque eran familiares de, de, de Abraham, lo, lo guiaban en una mala dirección. This was God's call on Abram. This was God's call for Abram's life. And yet Abram is hearing the voice of men that God did not call to join him. And there comes a point at which the scripture says that Abram is separated from his father and then ultimately he's separated from Lot and when he separates from Lot, the chapter begins by saying, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Sometimes God won't speak until you have muted the other voices in your life. Después de que se separó de su padre y de Lot, dice que de nuevo Jehová le habló. And uh, it is so important that you and I in ministry, in our churches, in, uh, in, our, in our own sphere of influence, maybe not a pastor, but you have a sphere that God has given you to oversee, to work in. I want you to know that God has a purpose and plan in that, but it's often too easy to get distracted by the voices of other people and not hear the voice of God. And this is what we're talking about this morning. That you can read all the books you want on church growth and on uh, growing your area in ministry. But the most essential element is to hear what does the Lord say to me. Thus saith the Lord is the most important thing in my life and in my ministry. If Kingsway is, is uh, blessed at all. And if it's going to be blessed any more than it has been, it's because we have learned to hear, thus saith the Lord. It's never been, oh, well, I read this in a book, let's go try it. Because you know what? If I go try what I read in somebody's book and then it doesn't work, next year we'll say, well, I read this in that book, let's go try that. And instead, I could go to the source, couldn't I? And you could go to the source. But you have to get rid of some, some lots that are in your life. You have to get rid of voices that are in your life. And I just want to point out that one of the lots that we deal with most in the church today is the lot of the way uh, we used to do things. The tradition and the old move of God. Lot is a picture of the flesh. 
Lot es un re retrato de la carne. What Lot represents to us is flesh. Dependence upon the flesh. But remember when Lot saw, Lot had a vision. The scripture said Lot, he looked at the valley of Sodom. Valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw that it was well watered and good to graze. And he went and pursued that. That's what the flesh does. The flesh goes after what it sees in the natural. Abram, on the other hand, looked at the desert of, of Judah. And he saw this, this place that was arid and dry. And yet he saw the promise of God. He saw what would become the promised land. And what today we know as the nation of, Jeru of Israel. And he even saw the city of Jerusalem. The mount upon which that city would be built. Because he had a, a vision of what God wanted. But there had to come a point where he got rid of the old framework of thinking. The old way of understanding things. And here's the thing church. Whenever you and I. Uh, not watch God go from one way of doing things to another. If we insist on doing the old thing, we're in the flesh. Now, I need to say that again because it's hard to hear. But when you insist on doing something that God used to do, key, key word there, God used to do that. When you insist on doing what God used to do, you're now operating in the flesh. Cuando usted se determina o decide hacer lo que Dios antes hacía, usted ya está operando en la carne porque Dios antes hacía eso. Let me ask you a question. Did God used to use the tabernacle and the sacrificial system? Yes. Is he using it today? No. So if I go and build a, an altar and burn cows and sheep and goats, am I operating in the flesh? Yeah. I'm not going to sacrifice any chickens. It, it's the way God used to work, but he's not working now. And so if, if you and I insist on going back to the way it used to be done, if I go back to the old altar, I'm going to miss the cross. If I go back to the old tabernacle, I'm going to miss Christ because all of those were just the signs pointing to Christ, pointing to him. And, you know, I, I have found this is one of the most difficult things for us to, to deal with and process as the church at large is that we struggle with, with, with transitioning into what's God doing now. And we struggle into seeing how is God moving today. God isn't moving like he did in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. He's not using the big tent preacher, the big uh, tent evangelist anymore, is he? He has changed his method. He's, he's changed his way of working. And that's where you and I have to be very, very attuned to the voice of God. Here's why. Because two things are happening. Are you ready? On the one hand, in the sphere of faith, there is change going on like never before. And at the same time, in the natural, there's change going on like never before. And the, 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 the trick or the trap for us might be to think that everything new is of God. But we don't we, we need to we need to be more discerning than that to know what is of God. Because the world has new things. 
And God has new, th- new things. That's why uh, uh, tuning to the voice of God is so essential so that we don't get led by somebody else's vision, by somebody else's dream, by somebody else's vo- uh, uh, message from God. We need to be led by the Spirit of God in what God is doing. I can't, I can't uh, try to do what God's doing in College Station and Bryan. I need to know what's God doing in Beeville. And I want to get in the flow of what God is doing in Beeville. And this is a, a, a problem that, that occurs sometimes when we start comparing ourselves, the Bible says, with ourselves. Well, that church over there is doing it this way, and that pastor over there does it like that, and that guy over there does it like that. We become copies and never arrive at the original masterpiece God had intended for us to be, for, for this church to be, for your church to be. And so the voice of God has to be heard. It needs to be cultivated because if we're being led by the voice of God, there's security in that. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow. Jesús dijo, mis ovejas oyen mi voz. Y otra, no van a, uh, otra voz no van a oír. Cuando usted oye la voz de Dios, cuando usted es guiado por la dirección de la voz de Dios, usted va a estar en un lugar seguro, un lugar do, 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 con un fundamento seguro. Y en ese lugar hay, hay seguridad y hay crecimiento. In that place there's security and there's growth. You know what it requires? It requires faith, doesn't it? ¿Qué se requiere? Re- se requiere fe. Because uh, if I'm watching another pastor and I say, man, that guy's 34 and he's already built this massive church and I'm over here struggling. You know what? I don't think I'm in the will of God. Maybe he's not in the will of God. I need to be led not by my circumstances, but by the voice of God. And Abram gets these voices out of his life. He gets these, this old way of thinking out of his life. And, and listen, the old way of thinking, it's as familiar, it's as close as mom and dad and nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters. It's as close because it's the way we've always done things. But until you and I decide, I don't want to know what we did yesterday. What is God doing today? And what is God doing here? And what is God doing now? That God is, when we mute all those voices, we have this delightful good news. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. And I'll tell you, friends, there is nothing more powerful in ministry than to live and work and serve under the word of the Lord. To know I am here by the word of the Lord. God moved me into this place. God brought me to this to this situation. Nobody can move me out because the word of the Lord has me here. Nobody can discourage me because the word of the Lord has brought me to a place of encouragement. Nobody can rob me of my peace because my my peace is found in what I have heard from God. Vino palabra de Jehová, Abraham. Y esa palabra le dio seguridad 
Y le dio la habilidad de crecer y en es, es en ese lugar donde usted y yo podemos tener efe, efecto en, la, en el cuerpo del Señor. Cuando estamos, hemos sido sensitivos a la palabra de Dios. I want to share with you something here that I, I think we see. Three aspects of, of um, God's work and purpose in the life of Abraham that we find in this text. The first is this, that Abraham, Abraham came to know the heart of God. He came to know God as his father. En ese pasaje, Abraham comienza a oír la voz de Dios como la voz de un hijo a su padre. Here he is, 90 years old, and listen to what his father says to him. Don't be afraid. I'll protect you. Sounds like a daddy, doesn't it? He's 90 years old. He still needs his father's voice. Don't be afraid. I'll protect you. He said, do not fear. I am the shield and your reward. Jehová le dice a Abraham, no temas porque yo soy tu protector, soy tu escudo y tu galardón. Y ahí entendemos la importancia de poder uh, conocer el corazón de nuestro Padre. You and I must learn to hear the heartbeat of our Father. Jesus was an example of a son who lived according to the Father's heart. And I just want to point this out to you real quick. In John 5.20, Jesus reveals that he was convinced that his Father loved him. Jesus literally says, my father loves me. You know, there's going to be a whole lot of challenge in being effective in the ministry God has given us if we have not discovered the fact that God actually loves us. That my father loves me. Jesús dice en Juan 5, uh, 20, mi Padre me ama. Mi Padre me ama. Eh, eh, la fe de muchos se detiene porque no cree que Dios les ama. The, the church often struggles because it has a view of God that says God is angry, God is manipulative, God is hard, God is harsh, God is cold, God is unyielding, God is uh, wrathful, God is walking around with a big stick waiting to smack you over, the, over the, uh, the, the wrist when you touch something you're not supposed to touch. And we have lost sight of the fact that we have a father who loves us. La idea que muchos tienen es que Dios está enojado, que tiene un palo grande esperando de darnos un golpe en cualquier uh, equivocación que tenemos y se nos ha olvidado que nuestro Padre nos ama a nosotros. You know what I learned about Pentecostals? Because I'm a Pentecostal. That we, though, if you grew up in a church like I did, we respond real well to a good whipping. The better the pastor whips that chicote, the better we feel. It draw, We feel like it draws us to God. I've noticed that. Some of the hardest sermons I have to preach around here, and people will come up and say, Pastor, that was so encouraging. I think, what do you mean encouraging? <laughs> I was trying to get you not to live like that. Right? But Pentecostals, how many of you grew up in a church like that? Like, 
Condemnation is just, it was as close to milk. And so some people don't feel like they've heard a sermon till they got beat up on. But, you know, the father loves his children. And he wants them to know that he loves his children. Yes, he reproves. Yes, he corrects. Yes, he disciplines. But that's not all he does. That's not even the great part of what he does. Yo, creciendo en una iglesia pentecostés, a nosotros nos enseñaron a, puro, a, a pura a condenación. Entonces, cuando, cuando uh, nosotros aprendimos nuestra fe, nuestra manera de crecer espiritualmente, era que alguien nos dijera que, que nos íbamos a ir al infierno, si seguíamos como íbamos, y que eh, esto y lo otro. Y eso nos causó pensar, eso es la manera de atraerme a Dios si, si me corrigen. Y se nos olvidó que Dios nos amaba. Que Dios nos atrae a Él. The scripture says, the kindness of God leads men to repentance. Dice la escritura que la bondad de Jehová atrae al hombre al arrepentimiento. I believe my father loves me. I have a daddy and he loves me. I was I was in College Station at, at uh, Livingstone Church and someone prayed a prophetic uh, prayer over me and they said, the Lord said that um, he's got you in his arms and that when you take your jacket and your tie off, it's just you and him and you have a, a special relationship with your father. And, and everybody else who, who might have been there might have thought, that is a sappy prophecy, right? Because they said, he's holding you in his arms like a baby. And that's not what you expect to hear about a 90-year-old Abram or a, or a preacher or a pastor. But guess what, friends? That's what God says to you today. You are in my arms. I am your father. I love you. Don't be afraid. I'm in control of this. I'm under, I, you, I, you're in my arms. I am your shield. Nobody's going to hurt you. Nobody's going to get to you unless they have to get to me first. And, and Jesus was aware of that. He says, my father loves me. Jesús estaba convencido del amor de su padre. And then in John 4:34, he says, it's my food to do, to do the will of my father. Luego en Juan 4.34 Jesús dice, es mi comida hacer la voluntad de mi Padre. You see, when you, are, when you are convinced of the Father's love, then the Father's will is a good thing. It's an easy thing. I spoke to somebody the other day. They were from the old kind of school, Pentecostal. And you could just tell it because, because um, we were working on a project and And everything he saw is an analogy for why we don't serve God good enough. It was starting to weigh me down. It's like, till finally I had enough. And, and, and he said, I don't know why we struggle to do the will of God. I said, I don't struggle. And when I thought about it later, I was like, 
Well, I don't struggle. Why would I struggle to do the will of a God who loves me? Number one, I know that he can only be good, so he's not going to require me to do something that is bad. Number two, I know that his will is going is to be for my good and for his glory. Number three, I know that his will is going is to build me up. It's going to make me stronger. And, and number four, I know that he'll never ask me to do something that he won't give me the power and the resources to do. So why would I struggle to do the will of God? What's the difference then? Jesus knew the Father's love. He could do the Father's will. That's what's missing in the, in the old kind of con condemning uh, message is that we want you to do it, do it, act right, live right, live holy. But there's no love to live it on. No grace to live it on. I can't be holy without his love. I can't be holy without his grace. It's that grace that enables me to live holy. It's that grace that sanctifies. It's that grace that purifies my life. So when you take, the, the, you take the love of the Father out of the equation and all you have is his will, it looks like he's staring down at you and saying, you better do this. But when you understand the love of the Father, you see him crouch down next to you and saying, look, I'm going to run next to you as you ride this bike. And then immediate, and after a little while, before you even know it, I'm going to let it go and you're going to be able to ride this bike. No, Daddy, I'm afraid. But he's saying, no, look, you're going to do this. You can do this. Because you're my boy and you're going to accomplish this. Now it changes the whole equation because I want to do my father's will. And I can do my father's will because my father loves me. And he has empowered me by his grace to do his will. And then Jesus in, in John 8.38, he says that, that he... Only did those things that, his, that he saw his father do. And he only said those things that he heard his father say. What was he saying? He had been shaped and formed in the presence of the father. Being in the father's presence, he learned his voice. How many of you know your, your dad so well that you know what he would say in a conversation even when he's not there? And if somebody tells you, Dad said this, you're like, no, he didn't. How do you know? Because I know it. He wouldn't even use that vocabulary. When you're in the presence of the Father, his voice will shape your life. Jesus said, I do what I see him do. And you think about that little boy, his, his dad is is being Bob the Builder in the house, and he's building a, a, a new add-on room. And where's the little boy? He's got his little plastic utility belt on with a plastic hammer and a plastic measuring tape and a fake hard hat. And you see him there tapping and sawing. Why? He's just doing what his father does. I want it to be said of my ministry that when I preached, I just preached what I saw my father preach. 
That when I taught, I just taught what I saw my father teach. That when I sang, I sang what I heard my father sing. That when I shared the gospel, I shared it in a way that my father would have shared it. That I was so in tune to his voice that I just could do the things that he would do because his presence formed me, shaped me, and made me the man, the minister, the pastor, the son that he wanted me to be. Something else we see in this passage, we see the word, the will of God for the life of Abram. And first, we see that God wants Abram to know his father's heart. Second, we see that God wants him to increase. He wants him to expand, to grow. Now, let me ask you this. In light of what I just said, if your daddy wants you to increase, you think you can? Oh, that was so weak. If your daddy wants you to increase, you think you can? Yes. How many of you ever did something on the sheer fact that somebody believed in you? You finished school because somebody believed in you. If nobody had believed in you, you would have quit a long time ago, but there was somebody in your life saying, you can do this. And God reveals to Abram, I'm going to increase you. And Abram says, but dad, I am childless. I don't have anything you promised. And yet, God reveals his will to Abram, and he says, I'm going to give you increase. I'm going to give you a growth. And yet, Abram can't see it. And if you notice what what the verse says here, verse 5, it says, he took him outside. Abram was in his tent. And as long as he was in his tent, he could not see growth. He couldn't see potential. He couldn't see what was possible. I want to ask you today, can you see increase? Well, we got two of us in here. Can you see increase? I'm going to ask uh, Jake and J.D. to help me illustrate something. Just hold this up from four corners. Hold it up. I'm sorry. Let me ask you again. Can you see increase? All right. As long as Abram is in his tent... I don't see nothing. I don't get it. All these prophetic words, all these promises, all these gradual steps toward improving. Go up a little higher, guys. But I can't see it. What's blocking you from seeing what God sees? What's hindering you? What's blocking your vision? Abraham está en la en la carpa en la tienda y no puede ver lo que Dios tiene para él porque su su visión está limitada. Some of your vision is limited by failures from the past. I already tried that. Twenty years ago, I tried that. 
Well, maybe you were 20 years too early. Uno dicen, no, eso ya lo, ya lo calé, ya, ya traté de hacer eso. And that limitation is there, and it is holding you back. Esa limitación te está deteniendo. So what does God do for Abram? I believe this is what God has done for some of you this weekend. He says, he goes and he tells Abram, come outside of the tent. He says, the Lord took him outside. Dice que Jehová lo sacó de la tienda. He said, now look up. And see the stars. Thank you, guys. And if you can number them, that's how many descendants I'm going to give you. You see, the stars were there the whole time. But he couldn't see it because there were things that were blocking him from seeing what God had planned for him. But all the while, God was saying, I'm not just going to give you a son. I'm going to give you an increase of sons. And friends, you and I, I know, have, been, have heard from the Lord of what he wants to do in our lives, in our ministries. And many times, there's just that low ceiling on us. Our, our expectations of ourselves are low. Our limitations are low. Our uh, ability to think big is low. And we just can't see beyond that. And God is saying to us, the first thing I want to expand in your life is just to get you out of the tent and get you to look at what I am planning to do, to look at the stars. And if you can start counting them and number them, you'll know how many descendants and what I'm going to do in your life. Is it God's will for me to increase, Pastor? Sometimes we feel subconscious about wanting to increase. Like maybe it's a bad thing to want to grow. Maybe it's a bad thing to want to be somebody. Maybe it's a bad thing to want to accomplish something for God. But you know what Jesus said? He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be what? Will be what? So does God want to add? Busca primeramente el reino de Dios y su justicia y todas estas cosas serán añadidas. Sounds like increase to me. Parece un, un ingreso cuando usted lo oye y dice, Él quiere añadir algo a tu vida. Él quiere dar algo que ahora no tienes. You know, some, some of us, we could have ended 2015 thinking, man, I didn't get nothing. Last year, nothing new happened. I didn't accomplish anything. But you just stop. Stop. And start thinking about what was added. I did this at the end of the year. I was thinking, man, we didn't see all the, the growth we wanted to see last year. We didn't get as far as we, we would have liked to have gotten at Kingsway. But you know what I started to do? I started to list New families that God added to our church. And then the list got to where I couldn't keep it in my mind. I had to jot it down. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a list of 50, but I think I counted 15. Well, guess what? 15 is more than what we had when we started. And I know some pastors that would love a 15-family increase in their church. But I could sit here and say, I just don't see it. I just don't get it. 
and, and all the while miss the fact that God is adding. But you know what? Before he added those families, he had to add something to me. He had to add something to you as members of this church. And as he's been developing us, now there's more of a foundation upon which to build that room. Come on, church. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the day of baby steps, little increments. Because let me tell you this, if you take an inch a step before long, you're going to be where you plan to go. It may not be as fast as you thought it would be. We like to just grow in leaps and bounds. But you know, the fact is that God knows what he's doing. Our Father knows. And if he has promised to add, it's because it's his will to add. Look at another scripture that proves the fact that God wants you to increase. Luke 14, verse 23. It says that the master of the house told a servant, go into the alleyways, the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. Luke 14, 23. Why? Compel them to come in. Why? My wife? That my house may be filled. You know, that, that verse right there freed me to dream big for God. The day I realized, I said, wait a minute, okay, the master of the house is God. God wants a full house. I guess if I want a full house, I must be a little bit like God. If my father wants a full house, I must have my father's heart. Well, you know, we've been taught this doctrine, you know, you just you just let the Lord do it. Let, let God do it. And God's waiting on us to do something. Did the master go get the people? No, he sent the servants. He says, I want a full house. So his desire is a full house. His desire is increase. So don't, don't let anybody tell you it's not God's will for you to increase. It's not God's will for you to grow. That, that is a lie from hell itself. Who better to engineer such a lie for the church than to tell the church, God doesn't want you to grow. I'll give you one more, in case you're not convinced. Matthew 13, 31 through 33. Matthew 13, 31 through 33. Does God want you to increase? Well, that was all right for a Baptist church, but. How about some, some spirit-filled people in the house? Does God want you to increase? Yes. Amen. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, 
But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And then he said, so he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a man took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Both of these pictures tell us this. The kingdom of God starts small and it ends how? Big. Small mustard seed, but when it's full grown, it's a tree. A peck of leaven, but when you put it in the flour, before it is done, it has leavened the entire uh, barrel of flour. Dice, estos dos retratos nos dicen una cosa, que el reino de Dios comienza pequeño, pero crece. Es un reino el cual como una semilla crece a ser un árbol y como un poco de levadura crece a, a tomar todo lo que es, uh, está en aquella, en aquella vasija. Así es el reino de Dios. So listen, the very nature of the kingdom of God is growth. La naturaleza del reino de Dios es expansión, es el crecimiento. Increase is the DNA of the kingdom of heaven. Why do you think the devil fights one person in a family getting saved? Because he knows. If I lose one, soon it'll be two. And then it'll be three. And then it'll be eight. And before you know it, I'll lose one generation. And then two generations. And then a third generation. And then he'll be looking and he'll be saying, I've lost five or six generations because the kingdom of God just starts taking over a household. It starts taking over a life. If you are, if, if you have a family and a, a person in a Christian home, pray for them or in a, a non-Christian home, pray for them if they're the only one because hell will try everything it can to snuff out that light. But the kingdom of God, when it's full grown, it's going to dominate that thing. So do you think it's God's will for you to increase? This is a weak crowd this afternoon. Yeah, I guess. You think it's God's will for you to increase? You know, the scripture says that God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. I'm about to tell you how increase comes. Notice. Let's start with bread to the eater. God says, if you are a consumer, I'll give you enough to consume. If all you want to do is eat bread, I'll give you bread. Dios dice, dice la palabra del Señor que Dios da pan al que come y semilla al que siembra. Así que hay dos clases de personas. Hay uno que come pan y uno que siembra semilla. So there's two kinds of people here. There's the kind that sow seed and the kind that eat bread. Now here's the thing. You cannot plant a loaf of bread 
and what really God is saying here is there are two levels of people. The level of pers- person or the level of ministry where all we're about is consumption. Then God says, I'll give you enough to eat. But if you want to be on another level, I'll give you enough to sow. And when you learn to sow, you'll eat anywhere. You see, I want to challenge you today to get out of the the bread eating category. Most of the church in America are bread eaters. They just come and sit. Nachos and cheese, right, while the pastor's preaching. Tasty popcorn. La mayoría de la iglesia en Estados Unidos son comedores de pan. Solo llegan al servicio, están come, come, come. Ya viene, ya me voy. I'm full, I'm going home. Y en una semana o dos, llegan a comer de nuevo. And they come in and maybe they say, okay, I'm full next week or two weeks later. Come back, eat some more. But then there's in the same church a whole different category of people. And these are the people that sow seed. Because they know that you can't get increase out of a loaf of bread, but you can get increase out of seed. Usted no puede sacar crecimiento de una barra de pan. Pero sí puede sacar crecimiento de una semilla. I can't increase from hearing a sermon, but I can increase by being a sermon. I can't increase by being prayed for, but I can increase by praying for somebody. I can't increase by, by just reading a book, but I can increase by sharing what I have learned. I cannot increase by just sitting here and waiting for God to do something. But if I get up and I begin to go after what he has promised in my life, that's where the increase is going to come. When I decide that my life is full of seed and that that seed is for increase, it's for growth. I'm not just here to consume. God will give me enough to consume. If I want to sit in the church for 80 years and die and just be nothing but a consumer, then he'll give me bread for that. Dad is going to give me bread enough for that. But if I want to be a person who leaves a mark, I'm going to have to take off my jacket and roll up my sleeves and get out a hoe and start planting some seeds. And it's when the church comes to that level and says, you know what? It's good enough that God will give bread to the eater, but I want to be a sower. He'll give seed to the sower. What does that mean? He'll give you a place to plant it. He'll give you the the seed to plant. He'll give you the water to water. And it's it's a difference in mindset. Am I a taker or am I a bringer? Do I take something from the situation or do I bring something to it? Did I bring something to this church when I arrived here? 
or did I take something from it? Am I adding to this ministry or am I taking from it? You know what I love? The Bible says that, that uh, Rachel, when she named Joseph, she named him Increase. His name literally means growth. And you know what Jacob, you know what Joseph does? Everywhere Joseph went, he brought increase. He went into the, he went into the pit and he filled up an empty well. It was empty before, now it had somebody in it. Then he went to Potiphar's house, and he became the top servant. He could have been the slave that was cutting corners, shirking his duty, getting other people in trouble. But you know what he said? I'm going to add to this place. This place needs some class. And he became the top dog in the hierarchy. His name was Increase. And everywhere he went, he added. Then he went to prison. Surely there's no way to add in prison. But he said, you know what? This place is pretty shabby too. And he started to excel to the degree that the jailer put him in charge. And the scripture says that the jailer did not think twice about anything that was under Joseph's command. That boy could add. Couldn't multiply yet, but he could add. Can I ask you something? Are you an adder or a subtractor? What your pastor thinks of you, does he see plus sign or minus sign? I'll ask you for the pastors. When our bishop thinks of us, does he see a plus sign or a negative? Those of us who are credentialed ministers, what does our bishop think when he thinks of us? He's in prison, and the scripture says that he excels. And then there's these two guys having a discussion about some dreams they had. They could have sat there and said, I don't have a dream, neither will they. But you know what? He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to add to them. He said, look, man, I'm sorry about you, but you're going to die in three days. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't mean to want to be the one to break the news to you, but this is it for you. And the other guy says, you're going to be promoted back to the palace, but don't forget me when you do. And then one, one day that happens, and Joseph gets forgotten. Remember, who's, who are we talking about here? This is Abraham's great-grandson. A descendant. One of those stars. Sitting there in his jail cell. Hated by his brothers. His dad thinks he's dead. Nobody knows who he is or why he's there. Or that he's even there. And he hears the door of the cell creak open. <laughs> Joseph, get dressed. What for? 
Pharaoh wants to see you. Who? Pharaoh wants to see you. That night, Joseph woke up in the, in the prison, and that, that day he woke up in the prison, and that night he was lying in the bed as prime minister of the nation of Egypt. And he walked into that palace with something to say, and he had solutions. Come on, church. I know we feel like we just went through this laundry list, but let me tell you, God has given us solutions. Joseph went into that palace and he added to Egypt. He added to a nation and to the world. And ultimately, he added in such a way that he would save his own family from utter destruction because he was willing to live up to the culture of his name, to live up to the culture of his family. Let me tell you what, we have a culture in the kingdom of God. It is a culture of increase. It is a culture of growth. So instead of waiting for growth to come to you, you go and cause something to grow. Go and cause something to increase. Go and bless the life of somebody else. Go and invest in the ministry of somebody else. Go and say, hey, I read this book. It really helped me. Hey, I I want you to learn some principles that I learned I want you to see what God has been telling me friends he'll give seed to the sower are you a sower can I invite you today to come out of the tent for a little bit to come out of that limited perspective and see what does God say I believe today that we have been we have been challenged, we have been provoked. There's some things that made us uncomfortable even last, even yesterday in the pastor school, some things that made us uncomfortable, but here's why. If God is addressing these things, it's because God is up to something. God is up to something. I said God is up to something. And I want to invite you into this altar for a few minutes tonight this afternoon. And I want you to walk out of your tent. Whatever it is that's limiting you, I pray that you would, you would see, that, you would see that, uh, that God is calling you to see the stars. Maybe, maybe they have been clouded by failure and, and bad experiences and letdowns and disappointments. But God is calling you to a higher level today to look and see what he sees. To be a sower in the lives of the people that he's put in your care.